And his mother said, verse 5, to his servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to underline these words because these are the last recorded words of Mary in the Scripture. The last recorded words of Mary in the Scripture. And I love what she says. It's a good lesson for all of us. Every creature is unique in a song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. After the wine ran out at the wedding, the wedding staff told Mary because she was in charge of the wedding staff. She then turned to Jesus for help. It is wise for everyone to obey Mary's direction. Whatever he says to you, do it. Through this scripture, the idea of deliberately going through Mary to get to Jesus suggests that Jesus is equal to Mary or that she has some influence on Jesus our God. Mary was a sinner just like us and not a mediator for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the only mediator we have and need. Now here's Pastor Rob. He established that covenant, that institution of marriage. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, let me just read it to you. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then, male and female, he created them. Notice he didn't create two men. The world would be just full of muscle cars and guns, and empty pizza boxes. No, male and female. He created them. What a wonderful thing. Male and female, he created them. And what did he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, every living thing that creeps on the earth. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, what did he say to Adam? He goes into a little more detail on on that whole arrangement. He says, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds, all the animals. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which he, the Lord God had created or had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man." God didn't need to make a new woman. He, he just already took the material that he made Adam out of, took a piece of that, and created woman. And woman literally means from man. That's what the word means. And I wonder if it was on his left side where the heart is. Maybe in heaven we'll see the scar. <laughs> and go up to Adam and say, was it the left side? He goes, you better believe it, right the heart, because she came right out of my heart. That's where God wanted her to be. He wanted me to love her with all of my heart. To treat her well. To treat her like she deserves to be treated. He created her for me to care for. And she's to be a help for me. And I'm to love her. 
and I am to love her, and I love that. that. That's God's way. And there are those around us who scoff at that and try to redefine things, and sorry, it's not going to happen. It's been well established. This cannot be altered. Amen? It cannot be. So notice that it's in Cana of Galilee. Cana is a place right in the center. of. If you were to look at a map, and um, I apologize, I didn't have things ready for you this morning. But midway, really, between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee, right there in, in, the, in the Galilee region, there's a little town um, of Cana. It's directly north, about nine miles from Nazareth, where Jesus grew up as a young man with his mother, Mary and Joseph. And it was at this Cana, the, the name of it means the nest. And I think, of, I, I, think of a, I think of a mother bird creating a nest, you know. And I think of wedding, and I think of what a mother or a wife goes through. And I saw my wife going through this same, same thing, too. And, and women, when, they get, when they're married and they start and they're, they're having children, they have this wonderful way of creating a really beautiful nest. That's what it is. Their home is their nest. And that's a wonderful thing. Men can't do that. We're not designed to do that, but God created the woman for that. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. So this place in Cana, it says, Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding. Notice, Jesus was invited to the wedding. Is Jesus invited to weddings today? Does the bride and groom and the family, do they value marriage and invite Jesus into their marriage? Certainly maybe for Christian marriages. And maybe even there's some kind of nod of respect for the unbeliever going into a marriage. They do it in a church because they've got to. And some of them want to, honestly. They, they, they have a, a, a part in their heart that is reverent toward the Lord. But I fear Jesus' presence is not really desired and has become more of a formality in many marriages today. So much so that people just go through the drive-through in Las Vegas. Go through the drive-through and get. Do you know they have a drive-through in Vegas? We can get married, or just going to the Justice of the Peace. There's again, there's nothing wrong with that if circumstances dictate it. But where is God in your marriage? Where is He? How valuable is the sanctity of marriage? Is it being compromised? The definition, again, of marriage. Our culture is trying to cancel the Christian view of marriage. And it's not even a Christian view of marriage. It's a God, God's view of marriage. He created it. He has the right to call it, define it, and have us abide by it. But now we have people telling us that marriage can be anything. It can be between a male and a male, a woman and a woman. It can be between a man and a child. How sick that is. I heard of one where a guy actually got married to his MacBook Pro. Seriously. He married his Mac. Can you believe that? (laughs) But marriage is between one man and one woman. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen? Amen. 
And when they ran out of wine, notice the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Often wedding feasts again would last about a week and there would be a lot of celebrating and they would have wine. And the wine that you're thinking of is not the wine that they had. What they would do is they would dilute the, the wine because it would be too strong and it would, you get inebriated pretty quickly. So what they would do is often they'd have one part wine and two parts water. So it would really dilute it. So there wouldn't be any people staggering around and uh, calling each other names and fights breaking out between the Jews. Um, none of that kind of thing. But that, that's what they would do. And so running out of wine was a very shameful thing in that culture. It's sort of like inviting your friends over for dinner not having enough food. Except in that culture, it was even a greater no-no if you didn't have enough for your guests. It'd be shameful. In this wedding, we don't know who was getting married here. We don't know if it was one of Jesus' siblings. It could have been a relative, a cousin. We really don't know. But whatever it is... Jesus, or Mary, she had a somewhat of a significant role in it because she felt responsible for the loss of the wine or not having enough wine. And I love the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters. You know, in, in verse 12 of the text we're looking at today, it says that he went down with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. There's been a doctrine in the Roman Catholic Church uh, called the perpetual virginity of, of Mary, saying that she was a virgin not only prior, which I agree with, um, and certainly during, I agree with that too, but after Jesus was born, she didn't remain a virgin Because Mary and Joseph continued to have kids. In fact, in Matthew 13, verse 55, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Josie, Simon, and Judas, which is Judah, and his name, or James, and and his sisters, sisters, plural, are they not all here with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So Jesus had at least four other brothers, at least two other sisters. This is a pretty big family. So are you going to believe the the dogma, or are you going to believe the Bible? The Bible. Yes, we're going to believe the Bible. And notice what Jesus said to her. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come this This word woman, when Jesus uses this phrase, he's not being disrespectful, although there is a mild rebuke here. The word guinea is the name woman that he's using, and it's it's just a very common, endearing term for a woman. He's not degrading his mother. He wouldn't do that. Being the son of God, he wouldn't do that. But when he says, what does your concern have to do with me? Jesus was reminding Mary, Mary, I'm not a miracle worker. That's not what I'm here to do. My purpose is much greater. It's not just to fill water pots with wine. And she got it immediately. And Jesus, being the eldest of the sons, of all the kids, of all this, at least seven of them, right? There's four and two daughters, at least two daughters. And him, that's that's seven, that's eight. He was the eldest, and so... At this point in time, we believe Joseph probably has already passed from the scene. 
or will pass from the scene. And so Jesus, as the eldest, he would be calling the shots. They would all look to him. But Mary had overstepped her bounds, and Jesus, then and even now, he's not going to be manipulated by any, anybody. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be. And yet we try. Have you ever tried to manipulate the Lord? Lord, if you do this, then I'll do this. And the Lord goes, why don't you do that and just do that? No, it doesn't feel good. I, I, I want to, Lord, if you do this, then I'll do that. He's like, well, why don't you just do that? <laughs> Without any conditions. You can't manipulate the Son of God. Notice in the end of that verse, too, he says, my hour has not yet come. When he says, my hour has not yet come, it means that he, he, it wasn't his time to manifest himself, to make his ministry known yet. It was, it was starting. And, and I love the fact that the Lord had a, very, a, a plan from the very beginning, and it was throttled by him and God the Father. He knew exactly what he was going to do, when he was going to do it. Everything was very carefully orchestrated and he wasn't going to um, make himself to be something too soon. There was a reason for it all. And, and I think we know why. They probably would have tried to put him on the cross earlier if he had just come out with guns blazing and, and his message and everything that he was about. But it was that slow introduction and, then, um, and all of those things. It was very controlled by the Lord. And so it wasn't his time. And it, and it probably meant that the time of his impending death was not yet. Because really, when he said, my hour has not yet come, that's really what he's focusing on is the fact that my, my time of leaving this earth is not yet. And also, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just a miracle worker. I have things to do, and, and it's very well orchestrated. Many times in the scripture it says that his hour had not yet come. We see that in John 7, verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. <laughs> it wasn't time. He was able to walk through the crowd as they were trying to arrest him or do something to him, throw him off the cliff. But his hour had not yet come, and he was able to evade them. But there was a time when he said, my hour had come. In John chapter 12, we read this on Good Friday, or I'm sorry, the week before that, um, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, which was less than a week before his crucifixion. It says, Jesus answered them in John chapter 12, verse 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And meaning it wasn't a literal hour, but it was a, a, a period of time, a very defined, a very marked period of time where Jesus, his hour had come. And that's exactly what happened. He knew that his hour had come. It was time to put this thing in full throttle and head like face like Jerusalem like flint and to go forward and to accomplish the Father's will for him. In John chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then that very same night as Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, and the high priestly prayer that we read in John 17, what did he say? 
The very first verse says, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. There was an hour. It wasn't in anybody else's time frame. It certainly wasn't on Mary's calendar. It wasn't on his brother's calendar. His brothers even uh, told him, he says, Depart and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret, while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers at that time did not believe in him. And then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. His hour had not come, but there came a time when his hour did come, and it wasn't on Mary's calendar, nobody else's. And his mother said, verse 5, to his servants, whatever he says to you, do it. I want you to underline these words because these are the last recorded words of Mary in the Scripture. The last recorded words of Mary in the Scripture. And I love what she says. It's a good lesson for all of us. Did Mary say, I am equal with Christ, and therefore worship me. What I say goes. If you need something from the Son of God, you come through me. I will be your mediatrix. There's some churches that teach that. But what is her last words recorded in Scripture? Whatever he says, do it. (laughs) It's not Mary's fault. It's not Mary's fault. She's in heaven while people in Guadalupe are, are bowing to a statue and looking for tears and you know hand, marks and hands and all these weird apparitions. And she's looking down going, oh, Lord. And, and I can just see the Lord going, it's okay, Mary. It's not your fault. It's all them. <laughs> it's all their fault. It's not your fault. But these are the last words. And the question remains for us, are we doing what Jesus says? Whatever he says, do it. Are we doing the same thing? Are we doing what Jesus tells us to do? Are we obedient children? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me. Sometimes that's one of the greatest ways to show that you love someone is by being obedient. Kids, children, young people, think of that. You say you love your parents, but you don't obey them. That basically says that you really don't love them. If I love my wife, and there's things that she would like me to do, I'm going to listen, and vice versa. And when I say to my daughter, I need you to do this, and then she doesn't do it, or if she does, I mean, I'm not saying she doesn't do it, but you get the idea. Disobedience proves that we really don't love, but obedience says, hey, you really love. Be challenged by that. Young people and adults. When the word of God tells you to do something and to to be thinking a certain way, are you going to just shrug that off and act like it doesn't matter? Or are you going to take it to heart? Are you going to take it to the carpet and say, Lord, help me to do this. I don't even want to do this. I don't even like to do this. But Lord, I, I want to submit to you. Give me a right heart, God. And if you can submit yourself to one whom you can't see, it won't be very hard for you to... It shouldn't be hard for you to submit to those whom you can see, your parents. 1 John 5, verse 3, John says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. 
The more I walk with the Lord, the more I delight to do what he tells me to do. Because I find the secret that when I obey him, I find that my life is a blessing. It may not be easy. It may be hard sometimes. But to do the right thing, is I, I can always sleep at night. Even when I mess up, I can sleep at night knowing that he's forgiven me. But when, I, when I'm obedient to him, there's a great peace and a great joy. Are you being obedient to God? Or is your life... Or is your pill chest filled with all kinds of anxiety medicines because you're living a life in opposition to God? Now, not everybody who has a problem is disobedient to God, but there are those whose lives have been racked with so much pain and guilt and suffering. And because they've, they've done the wrong thing, they've continually done the wrong thing. And now they've created a life that is complete opposition to God. They, they're paying the consequence for it. And the only thing that can dull, dull that pain is the oxycodone or whatever the painkiller is, or whatever they find on the street. They, they, melt, they, they dull it to death instead of humbling themselves. Oh, how we need to humble ourselves today. I need to humble myself. Often, I need to. The only way up is down. Didn't Jesus say, if you humble yourself, you will be exalted? Notice the, the order there. He doesn't say exalt yourself and we'll take you higher. No, he says, if you humble yourself, I will exalt you. That's the way it's got to be. Is Jesus just Savior or is he Lord and Savior? This phrase, Lord and Savior, actually occurs four times in the New Testament in that order. Lord and Savior. It never occurs Savior and Lord. You know why? I believe the order there is significant. Because if he's not Lord of my life, then I won't have any great confidence that he's my Savior either. But when he's Lord of my life, if I'm submitting to him, I'll have the confidence that, because if I do that, I'm doing that because the Spirit of God is in me and I've submitted myself to him. And as a result of that, I'll have a greater confidence that he's doing something in me and that he loves me because I do those things that he asks. It's really pretty simple. It's not legalism. It's a relationship, right? But Lord and Savior, the order is very important. Lord and Savior. If he's just your Savior but not your Lord, you may say, I got my, 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 my ticket stamped to glory, and then I'm just going to live like a pagan for the rest of my life. Your whole life is going to be racked with pain and suffering, and you will have no confidence whatsoever that when you die, you're going to go to heaven. That is the truth. Because everyone I've talked to who has lived like that, they have no confidence whatsoever. Even those who say, oh, I believe, yeah, I believe in God. You know, they, kind of a general thing. I believe in God. Well, do you believe in Jesus? No, I just believe in the Father. Well, Jesus said if you don't have him, you don't have the Father either. So you got a kind of a wrinkle there. He has to be Lord first. And then your Savior. You'll have confidence that he's your Savior. Make him your Lord today. People like the idea of just him being Savior because they want to continue in their sin. They don't want him to be Lord. A Lord requires obedience. It requires it requires your heart. 
So now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So six pots. I mean, they're, they're not pots like these. They're bigger pots, and they hold 20 or 30 gallons apiece. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.